everyone. Welcome to the Yellow Chair Collective podcast. Today, I actually have a really amazing guest, Jaja Chen. She's an LCSW and an EMDR trained therapist, and she also trains us yellow chair therapists in, in EMDR. So why don't you give us a rundown about what EMDR is and how it works for people that don't know what it is? Yeah, so EMDR is a type of therapy. It's a very long name. It stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Such a mouthful, <laughs> but EMDR for short. Um, and it is a type of uh, mind-body trauma therapy. So uh, originally developed by Francine Shapiro in around the 80s. And it's a type of therapy that is different than just talking about trauma and the experiences that might uh, be impacting individuals. Instead of just talking mm. verbally about trauma in a therapy room, uh, individuals who are going through EMDR therapy uh, actually think of the memories or the experience, whether that's the thoughts, feelings, sensations, emotions connected to difficult or traumatic experiences in their mind, similar to mm -hmm. as if we're watching a movie in our mind. Uh, and mm -hmm. so instead of just verbally talking about what's happened, actually going through scenes and through the um, ways that our body physically can carry emotions. Um, and so there's mm -hmm. a lot more emphasis in EMDR therapy on uh, how is trauma impacting us now and in our physical body and the ways that it shows up as opposed to the exact content or material of what's happened or the details of what's happened in a trauma. And so a lot of folks will pursue EMDR therapy, especially if they've had past trauma or recent traumas um, and, and have not found as much relief or, um, you know, haven't felt like the traditional talk therapy has um, help support, you know, especially trauma responses or any kind of like post-traumatic stress response, um, anxiety, depression, or, or those types of experiences that can come because of trauma. Interesting. So for, for the person who's listening to this, who's Asian American, who's living in an urban population, I'm thinking about this from the perspective of someone who has no idea whether or not they want to try EMDR. It's become such a hot button topic. Like I, I hear a lot of people talk about it, but I think the question I always get as a therapist is, when do I know that EMDR is right for me? Yeah, so there's quite a few things, right? Because um, each person has different timing, you know, when it comes to where your body's at too. So I would say EMDR is not for you if you're in a place where you know, you're experiencing so much trauma responses and dissociation or dysregulation where it's hard, mm. you know. Can you explain even... what, can you explain what dissociation is for people? Yeah, so dissociation is. is where um, you're experiencing a lot of difficulty with just feeling present um, mm. and, or grounded in the here and now. And that can be a trauma response. And th th this doesn't disqualify you from EMDR therapy, but if the level of dissociation is to a place where uh, even being in a therapy office, right, is causing so much disruption and where it's hard to even, um, you know, where you're working with an EMDR therapist and they're having a difficult time even being mm -hmm. able to help support your nervous system. Before we jump into any kind of trauma therapy or EMDR therapy, we might have to 
uh, work a bit more on just helping um, to develop more skills, you know, to help our nervous system to be able to get a bit more grounded, a bit more present focused, right? And so, mm. so the idea behind that is we don't want to just jump straight into trauma therapy, right? <laughs> and so I know a lot of people, yeah. especially if you've never done any kind of trauma therapy before EMDR, you can feel eager, right? You read about it, you learn about it, you get super excited. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to go all in and mm. just, you know, uproot all this trauma. But I tell a lot of folks that, you know, we have to also see, okay, where is our body at? And so I could be mm. kind of frustrating, you know, if we're like, okay, we're ready, but then our body might be like, nope, we might need to take it a bit slower, you know, might need to develop um, a few more skills to be able to then support you know, ourselves before beginning the process. So there's that. Yeah. And of course, if someone is just in a lot of, you know, mental health crisis, whether that's suffering through a lot of suicidal ideations or any of those kind of mental health crisis situations, um, we usually would not begin EMDR therapy at that point either, because EMDR therapy is a trauma therapy, like I said, right? And so the last thing we'd want to do if someone's in a mental health crisis is to, you know, begin processing through further trauma. So one of the misconceptions I always hear a lot as a therapist is if I just deal with this now, then I won't have to deal with it again. And what I mean by that is I think the slowing down process from the perspective of a therapist is necessary so that the client achieves longevity in their healing long term. Sure. And so for the person that's just beginning their therapy journey who has no idea about the why behind why we slow clients down. Can you explain that? Because I think yeah. that yeah. I think that it a lot of the common um, themes are almost reversed. Like I just need to deal with the hard before it becomes easy. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think even for some clinicians starting, you know, earlier, there yeah. can be that misconception, right? Like of like, oh yeah, we just gotta process through the trauma. But I think really seeing, once again, going back to your body, right? And the idea of we have to honor where our nervous system and where our body is at and going harder for our nervous system is not going to actually be helpful. Similar to when we're working out our muscles, right? We have to have rest days. We can't just mm. always push and push and push because so we can get injuries. And it's yes. really similar. It's the same kind of idea with our nervous system and trauma processing, pushing harder and pushing through it, even if we're really dysregulated, meaning, you know, if we're uh, experiencing like a panic attack in session or experiencing um, a place where it's like so disruptive, you know, where we're physically can't even feel present, that's not actually going to help support our nervous system and our mental health that actually can make it worse. And so that's mm. where, you know, as a trauma therapist, we do have to help to slow down the process, right? And really yeah. take pauses even when it comes to trauma therapy and even as clients or, or even individuals who are going through EMDR therapy, um, not being scared to let our therapist know like, hey, um, you know, I need to slow it down or I need to take some pauses or I need to focus a bit more on grounding so that my body you know, can be able hmm. to feel a bit more safe. It really goes back to that place of safety and helping to make sure, right, that our body isn't um, in a place where we're, we're dishonoring where it's at. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you talk about the nervous system and I think one of the a lot of the listeners that listen to this podcast are immigrants who have just learned to like push through. I'm a Filipina immigrant and it wasn't until I started therapy that I started to understand how to listen to my body and like what the nervous system was trying to tell me. The rapid change in breaths and then the the change in cues about how I feel about being in a crowded mm-hmm. space. So when you talk about the nervous system, can you give me a couple of examples about someone that might be ready for EMDR and how their nervous system reacts to trauma? Oh, for sure, for sure. So for example, if someone's going through um, a lot of physical anxiety responses, right, whether that be unexplained tension or tightness, and that can oftentimes show up in things like headaches or migraines, um, and especially when it comes to situations, whether you're in a place or with a person or in settings that's reminding you of past or ongoing trauma, um, that can mm. be one trauma response right, in our nervous system, in our bodies, that EMDR yeah. therapy can help to resolve. Because EMDR comes from the perspective, right, that we have unprocessed memories and traumas mm. that lead to different responses in the present. Mm. And so the idea, the theory is that if we process through these past experiences or the recent ongoing experiences, um, our brain, our nervous system is able to file away these experiences so that it doesn't continue leading us, right, to have all these different uh, unpleasant responses in the present, whether that thing, that's the anxiety responses, nightmares, for example, can be a huge one um, that mm. we can resolve with EMDR. Um, yeah. Flashbacks is another huge kind of area that a lot of folks might be dealing with or really um, impacted by in their day to day, right? Or where it's very mm. disruptive. Like, for example, just going about your day and where you're just remembering flashbacks, meaning uh, images or fragments, smells, any kind of sense of a past or ongoing kind of trauma or disturbing experience, right? And so. Wow. So those can all be different kind of areas that we focus on when it comes to EMDR. And those are just a few. So Jaja, how does, how does like rapid eye movement like work? Because I guess I'm, I'm going to be EMDR trained like later on this year, but I'm curious, like what's the science behind that? Like, how does that actually affect a person's ability to process through and process trauma. Can you yeah, explain this? Yeah, yeah. This is the part where it's like, oh, EMDR sounds very strange. Uh, in this right, yeah. It sounds more woo-woo eye, for someone listening. The eye movement or, or also some therapists would say bilateral or bilateral stimulation, meaning any type of movement or stimulation to help the left and right brain to be sparked, right? And so eye movement or EM of the EMDR is the most... Um, kind of standard practice to begin with, but there are other options as well, especially because for some people, eye movements might trigger, you know, onset of migraine or headaches or whatnot. Mm. But basically the idea behind it is a few ongoing kind of theories or research that's being continuously kind of looked into. Um, There's one theory that is like a working memory theory, the idea that sparking the left and right side of the brain kind of exacerbates the working memory and then leads to better integration of the trauma in a way that's different than if we didn't have the bilateral kind of eye movement. 
Um, mm. Other types of movements would be uh, there's buzzers physically that can buzz left and right to activate in your hand. Buzzers. There are, yeah, there are um, what's called a butterfly tap where we tap left mm. and right on our chest um, yeah. with our hands or sometimes with children or youth, even their parents or caregivers or guardians might even tap on their shoulders left and right. Um, if we're doing telehealth, there are now um, apps and integrations and in, in online telehealth to uh, look at a ball that goes left and right, or even uh, there's the tones that are left and right. There's so many different types of bilateral, but it's the idea that if we activate the left and right side of the brain, um, there can be better integration of the trauma because while we are thinking of the trauma or the memory that you're trying to process through, you're also having to focus in on the eye movements or the bilateral. And that then helps to lead to better trauma integration than if you only were just verbally talking about mm. it. Um, another theory that's still kind of being looked into is some folks, some researchers are considering whether or not our brain does something similar um, in EMDR, like REM sleep. Um, mm. I usually am more, I usually kind of pull more of the working memory dual attention kind of theory, but there's another <laughs> side that also considers, is it sparking similar kind of processes in our brain? like yeah. REM sleep does where we're integrating all our different day-to-day -day dreams and experiences in our memory. I'm just really grateful that I'm learning all of this from you because sel selfish reasons. I really appreciate this information as a therapist because you hear these terms thrown out a lot, bilateral movement, you hear the nervous system getting regulated. We talk about the importance of just knowing your body, but I think that you know, these aren't tools that we learn in school. We're not taught to listen to our body. Yeah. Right. And so for you as a therapist, when you're, when you're taking in what's called vicarious trauma, hearing another person's trauma and helping them process, how do you help yourself as like a therapist in practice? Yeah, it's so good. And, you know, I think one thing I love about uh, a lot of the mind-body kind of therapies, EMDR being one of them, um, is that because we don't have to talk about as many details of the traumas, that's one preventative measure already. Just wow. practicing EMDR therapy actually prevents the vicarious or secondary trauma because the therapist won't have to hear as many of the details um, because it's going back to the idea of the neuroscience, right? It's, okay, trauma is not just the words or the thoughts or the experience verbally of what's happened is within our body, right? Trauma impacts our body. And so mm. each person knows, or eventually as you continue and therapy, will get to better know how the trauma is held in your body. And so then you are the expert, right? And so then the contents, right? All the details of what's happened is not as big in the sense of like the therapist might not even need to know all the details to be able to help support you in wow. processing. And that's the cool thing. Cause it's like, you know, especially if folks have gone through or they, I mentioned the word dissociation, right? Like where severe dissociation could be blackouts or completely blocked memories, right? Or where you don't have all the details of a memory. Wow. 
And a lot of people might have discouragement of wondering, can they ever get relief or be able mm. to support themselves, you know, if they don't know exactly what's happened, or maybe if you're really young, right? As an infant, you don't necessarily have all the memories of what's happened, but you know of possibly what's happened when you're younger. Um, and, but we can still help support individuals through traumas like that, even without all the details. Um, and so that's one preventative measure, right? For vicarious trauma. Another thing is I think because so much focus is on the body, we as a therapist also has to be aware of where is our body at in the very moment mm. as we're leading folks in EMDR processing, even before, after session being aware of okay how am i absorbing or holding onto anything i've you know heard or even experienced in this session with folks um to have awareness of that and then uh we too can utilize tools you know it's not that we're doing emdr therapy to ourselves but you can do you know, <laughs> butterfly taps or deep breathing or other supportive tools to be able to help support um even after session, right? So that wow. it's not to a place where we're physically then holding on to those traumas we're hearing and then um, it just contains a way and we, you know, just move on in our life and where it just continues building up over time, right? Hmm. I think you're mentioning a school of thought that's just recently being discovered now by science, but I think a lot of spiritual practices have acknowledged for a really long time. And you talk about this thing called the mind-body connection. Yeah. And like I read, I used to read Carl Jung when I was in social work school, and he talks about this, that like oftentimes our nonverbal communication has a lot to do with how our mind is interacting with our body. Mm -hmm. And when, when people hear about things like butterfly taps on Instagram, or when we talk about and psychoeducate people about this, the first thing that I often hear people talk about is how it's so woo-woo, like how does this affect the body? How does, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I really admire that you talk about the neuroscience behind it. And I think that it's just so interesting. So let's say that I'm going to give you a scenario. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you get a client who really wants EMDR and they're dissociating and they're mm -hmm. just having panic attacks in session, but they eventually yeah. want to get there. They want to get sure. to EMDR. And so what's the process that you take them through? to eventually get to that point. What for does sure, that look like? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know earlier I said we might not be able to just begin, right? The trauma processing immediately, right. but that doesn't mean we cannot begin the EMDR therapy process in the sense mm. of we can begin preparation work, right? And some of what that might look like is, you know, helping clients to be able to start to identify, um, I mean, what are potential triggers or even signs that your body is moving into a place of panic, um, mm -hmm. maybe even just starting to learn more about, uh, you know, those moments or throughout their day to day, you know, when that's happening and then supportive tools to help um, so that instead of having to continue, you know, repeated panic attacks, like, okay, how can we help to support your body, you know, to manage those t situations or those times. And so a lot of the tools where a lot of different EMDR therapists might incorporate might be things like mindfulness tools, different grounding or deep breathing tools, um, working on um, even just starting to identify, okay, when your body has specific responses, are there specific emotions 
that's connected mm. to those responses, right? And for each person, so that could be very unique to their body where they're at. And so building more of that vocabulary even can be huge and that awareness, yes. right? Um, mm -hmm. We also work on something called resourcing. And resourcing is where we identify supportive people, places, um, maybe even animals, figures, role models, <laughs> any kind of supports, right? That yeah. you can think of in your life, identifying who those individuals, people, things, places are, um, and then beginning to use some of the bilateral, those eye movements or the buzzers or the butterfly dance, mm. um, to uh, be able to have a felt sense of those resources, right? Because mm. people that we find to be really supportive, or animals that we find to be really supportive, we don't just logically think in our head, oh, they're so great, right? It's like you can <laughs> imagine who they are, you can think of who they are, and when you think of being with them, there can be a felt sense within our mm. body, right, of support or care or encouragement, yeah. right? And and so we practice that encouragement, right, that sense of support, not just in our head, but actually physically have clients hold that sense of support within your body, notice that, um, and then pair that with the bilateral. And so this mm. is not beginning EMDR therapy processing where we're trauma processing, but this is preparations to begin the process in the sense of starting to identify some more supportive tools, supportive folks. And then eventually what happens is um, one, these resourcing is, will help our nervous system to be able to better regulate, to better get back to the present. Two, mm. these are going to be potential supports that incorporate into the trauma processing as well. Mm. So, so eventually, once we do begin trauma processing, we might draw from some of those supportive figures, people, places, images, even um, animals at times. So, because for so many people, right, trauma was traumatic because there might not have been the supports that you needed in those moments or those wow. times. And so we're not changing the past or changing memories, but we can draw from supports in the present to bring back some of that, you know, to help our nervous system then to be able to integrate and to kind of catch up, in, if you will, in the sense of see it <laughs> as like, oh, okay, yeah, these experiences are in the past or, or that, you know, that a more supportive place now. Mm. Wow. The first thing that came to mind while you were explaining that is you remind me of my favorite eye doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, um, when I was growing up, what I really appreciate about um, therapists and healthcare professionals is how gentle we are when we talk about this. Because I think what can happen for so many clients and what I think I'm learning to slow down about because I'm only two years into this practice is that I can give them so much trauma like trauma by I guess I that's a really strong word um feelings of anxiousness by overwhelming them with too much information uh -huh. and so after attending some of your consultations I really appreciate how you emphasize this importance of slowing down the client and helping them understand the why behind how to understand their nervous system so that they can get there Oh, for Were sure. you always really good at training people? Were you? Did you have this like teacher spirit, or how did you get to that place? Uh, 
I think I've always loved teaching and mentoring others. Probably I look back, you know, like since probably like first grade, I was uh, since the first grade I was on the um, at that point in my elementary school, there was something called safety patrol where the little kids would be wearing these little badges and being able to help other kids walk across. You were that the kid. Yeah, so I was the kid that would be helping other kids, you know, cross the street, awesome. make sure the cars are not running kids over, whatnot, um, in first grade. And so um, I think Aww. from a really young age, just wanting to be able to help support others, lead. Um, of course, when I was younger, I would be called bossy and whatnot. But as I grew older, realizing that, hey, being bossy, especially as a girl, is uh, actually being a leader. And that's okay. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I definitely think um, that has been part of who I am for a long time. But definitely when it comes to that philosophy that you kind of shared of really honoring our nervous system, I would say it didn't really develop until the last five years or so, because when I first started as a clinician, I think I just got super, you know, kind of like eager to just get with it, you know, when it came to <laughs> helping clients to just go straight into their trauma processing and whatnot, wow. and maybe even just naive in thinking when it came to what EMDR could be for folks. Um, but then especially after um, going through more trauma-sensitive mindfulness trainings and just having a lot more experience as well, realizing, mm. oh, okay, we have to really start where each person's unique nervous system is at, not mm -hmm. what we as a clinician thinks that we need to help support clients in. Yes. Yeah, because it, it makes sense why, because I fell into that trap as well, and I'm slowly getting there. But one of the things that I... I've realized while you were saying that the naivete that comes with when a client presents you with the problem, their historical um, things that they've gone through, and we can dive into that later on or maybe at a second part of this conversation, but it makes sense because two plus two equals four. And so if a client comes in with this problem and they want to fix this problem, the logical reason is to help them with the problem. But therapy is not math. There's so much nuance and gray that goes into a human interaction. There are the nonverbal cues. And I've even noticed that sometimes the client doesn't have the tools to tell you that it's too much, where they, they might cancel sessions or they might be almost avoidant of coming to therapy or decrease the frequency of sessions. And as for people that are therapists listening to this podcast, like, what advice would you give them about bringing up the conversation if they do notice this? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's huge, right, for us as therapists to really be cognizant that we might be, like, eager, right, for clients to begin trauma processing or even maybe even clients would be, like, eager, right, to begin trauma processing. Yeah. But uh, in the end, it's like we each have to really kind of discern through and see um Okay, it's not about our agenda or what we want mm. to see happen, but really it's, okay, where is that client's, their body, their nervous system at? And, and helping them to also build um, a sense of compassion, even right, for their bodies. Mm. If they're at a place where it's like, okay, we can't really just jump straight in like you might have wanted to from your <laughs> therapy, right? And so, yeah. Um, and so definitely seeing that, and I think even just starting as a therapist to see that progress 
right? It's not linear. Their healing's not linear for trauma. That's therapy. so good. It's, there's so many layers, right? And so even as we help clients to get to a better place, um, maybe a few years down the road, they might be back because mm. there's another layer of grief, another layer, right, that comes up. Mm. And that's very common at times. Um, doesn't mean that folks are not healing, but it's the fact that, okay, there can be different waves layers. and different layers when it comes to trauma healing in particular, um, especially yeah. if folks have gone through extensive ongoing or complex trauma, meaning, you know, like extensive childhood trauma, for example, or experiences where it wasn't just a one-time situation or a single event. Mm. I was going to ask you that. Um, how do you define healing is not linear, but I think you answered my question that when you process your understanding initially of trauma, there's always going to be something that comes up or there's going to be something that the therapist might see that you might not have seen. Um, I'm curious, like what, what helps you continue this work? Because the work that we do is not easy. For As sure. therapists, we have to, every case is different. Every client yeah. is different. And as an EMDR therapist, as a trauma-informed mindfulness-based therapist, there's a lot that you can take in. And so what's your purpose behind why you continue to do this? And for the listener that might not know Jaja, she lives in Texas. And so there's another layer of racial trauma that she also works with clients on. And yeah, that's my question, Jaja. Like, what gets you going? How do you not yeah, give up? Yeah, yeah, my why. You know, there's yeah. so many shifts over the years because I think when I first began over seven and a half years ago as a trauma therapist, I, my why was like, okay, I'm going to help people and that's about it. You know, like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did like, you live in Texas? Maybe more of like a, like I said earlier, like a naive view of like, okay, this is what it looks like. But I think over time it started shifting, especially when I began in private practice, um, mm. my why became more about uh, helping to bring about more representation and just the need seeing I'm in central Texas in particular, where there's central a lot of gaps. Did you always services. live there? Yeah, I've been in Waco for over 11 years. And so being in central Texas, there's a lot of gaps in services. And especially when it comes to, um, services for BIPOC or, or just people of color in general. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, at that time, I was the only Asian American therapist that I knew of in Central Texas area. Wow. Um, so Austin and Dallas is an, about an hour and a half away. But yeah, mm -hmm. of course, telehealth really opened up, you know, a lot more, more opportunity. But seven and a half yeah. years ago, not as many people were doing telehealth. Um, and yes, so I think yes. me entering into this field was just seeing the need, right, for more uh, inclusive therapy mm. and 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 especially seeing the need for folks to be able to find therapists that not just look like them but also had an understanding of more diverse cultures um and practice right from that lens in a way that's uh, a lot more inclusive um and so that's really what has sparked me to continue because especially in the midst of the pandemic and with the rise of you know, racial inequities and racial injustice and concerns in our society. I think that just continues to be my why of, okay, I'm going to continue in the field, you know, because um, we need to have more diverse, inclusive therapists, right, that are mm -hmm. really 
not just trauma-informed, but also um, from the populations that we're wanting to serve. Yeah. Without, without disclosing any specific stories, like when you think about your work, what, what cases are the most fulfilling to you? Which ones do you gravitate more towards? Yeah, like I love working with um, birth trauma, which is something that I had never anticipated wow. would come out. How did that of happen? My experience, because one, I'm not a mom, you know, I'm not a parent, uh -huh. but really emerged from my experience working with domestic violence survivors. And that was where I began my journey as a social worker. Um, and then working in that context made me realize a lot of folks were going through uh, perinatal mental health concerns too and postpartum mental health. And I was working with uh, primarily BIPOC populations. Um, mm. and, and with that comes a lot of concerns too with medical trauma, racial medical trauma, um, which then can lead to birth trauma. And so that's really where all of that emerged in that experience. And then once I entered into private practice, started to get more training for working with perinatal mental health and then realized like, I love working with parents and with individuals who've gone through um, yeah. medical or birth related traumas and to help them through, you know, perinatal or postpartum PTSD, trauma responses, um, all of that. I also just love working in general with um, individuals who've gotten to a place where they just feel like they've tried therapy so much, but then it's just, they felt kind of disillusioned, you know, by the therapy, whether it's because they haven't really found therapists who, um, you know, really took their uh, ethnic roots, their background into consideration, or mm. because of just a lot of extensive trauma, not being able to find folks, you know, who are as trauma sensitive or uh, informed. Um, so, so those individuals are definitely folks that I love serving as well. That's so good. That's so good because I I don't know why, but I enjoy working with actually I know why. <laughs> but um I think that a lot of BIPOC folks have experienced a lot of um CBT type of work yes. where they learn to logically think through their their trauma. But there's there's another layer that is not typically explored, which is what happens in your body despite it happening oh, two years sure. ago despite it happening 10 years ago there's a there's triggers that often occur that like yeah. logical thinking doesn't explain and so mindfulness-based sure. yeah. thinking trauma-based thinking um i'm really loving emotion-centered type of therapy because it it validates the person's experience in a new way of thinking don't you think Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And of course, CBT can be really effective, right, for certain concerns yeah. like OCD or anxiety, but there's also limitations to CBT when it comes to uh, racial trauma, particular or ongoing mm -hmm. trauma, right, where it's not always just resolved, um, or mm -hmm. especially if the trauma impacted folks' body in particular. That's a good point. Yeah. I want to be respectful of your time, Jaja, because we have about four minutes left in our interview and you're a busy lady. But um, my last question to you is, like, are there any resources you recommend, favorite books? It doesn't have to be specific to EMDR or neuroscience or brain chemistry, but work that has really impacted your why and why you oh, continue yeah. to do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one yeah. of my favorite books, especially on the idea of, you know, trauma in our bodies is by Resma Menekem. 
and he's mm. a uh, social worker, um, and he has a book called My Grandmother's Hands. My Grandmother's Ooh. Hands, and it's on healing racialized trauma in the body. And the cool thing about this book is it's super practical. So for those listening or tuning in, um, whether yeah. you are just an individual curious about mind body therapies or a clinician or therapist, or just wanting to learn more, um, I definitely would say that would be a must read, you know, for all individuals that are wanting to learn more because there's a, each chapter has uh, actual practice exercises uh, similar to what we were talking about earlier about resourcing, right? Um, mm. He goes through a lot of different practical resourcing exercises, which for anybody um, can be really good supports at home or in your own time uh, to help uh, to manage trauma responses. That one's That's one so of good. my favorites. Um, and then, uh, you know, another one of my favorite books, um, uh, I would say, especially when it comes to this whole, you know, kind of journey of um, integrating trauma in particular, um, I don't have it. Am, am I allowed to like go get it really quick? Yeah, so you can see? go get it. Please, please, please. Listener, for those of you that are just tuning in, Jaja is getting her favorite books so she can show us. So, um, so this one right here is called Restorative Yoga for Ethnic <gasps> and Race-Based Stress and Trauma. Um, and it's by Dr. Gail Parker, and she's a licensed psychologist and certified yoga therapist. Um, and so she goes through a lot of different practical experiences and also uh, restorative yoga tools. Um, and so this one is really powerful, especially because it integrates a lot of not just research, but also practice and key scenarios. Um, so there's that okay. one. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, trauma sensitive yoga and uh, therapy Ooh. is another one is by Dr. David Emerson. Ooh, okay. I'm gonna yeah, buy so these on even Amazon. If someone, even if folks are not yoga instructors or practice yoga, um, a lot of the tools of yoga integrate a lot of times with trauma sensitive work. Um, there's a lot of overlaps, and so then starting to learn more about it oftentimes will um, connect a lot with any type of mind body therapy EMDR work. Uh, you'll see a lot of overlaps. Hmm. Jaja, thank you so much for your time. I really yes. appreciate it. I've I've been taking notes during the span of our interview, and I just want to acknowledge you. Um, you carry a presence of calm and patience that I really admire. It's one of the reasons why Sujin and Linda wanted to have you on the podcast. You have such a teaching spirit, and the resources that you provide are so specific to the population that you want to serve. And so I really do think that this episode is going to serve people. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah.